on the most exotic locations on Earth, Moonraker will transport you to another world. a warm girl with the right connections could this possibly be the moment for us to pool our resources we would be better off working together more excitement more thrills more spills and guess who's dropped in for a bite Jaws is back. To the most spectacular adventure in space, Moonraker. It's out of this world. What exactly are you up to, Theodrax? Moonraker 1, lift off. Moonraker 2, lift off. Moonraker 3, lift off. city in space. James Bond and the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfillment. <laughs> And with that, it is the Moonraker review. Had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, This is probably only my second time watching it. I just remember watching parts of it. And uh, I got to tell (laughs) you, along with uh, Pussy Galore... uh, uh Moorhead, Dr. Moorhead, uh is is the least subtle <laughs> of all the Bond girls names. <laughs>
Uh, <laughs> it's so, it's so over the top, so obvious, so obvious, but, um, wow, I'm looking at the poster right now on IMDb, and I love the poster, but it, it's just so funny how much Austin Powers took from all the Bonds, including this one in a big, bad way, and, uh, um, from the, the spy who shagged me, um, it's definitely, um, I mean, there's just definitely scenes from this that, uh, Mike Myers stole. Um, <laughs> also the poster, there's a lot of like the illustrations on it, uh, look like a comic book, like him taking out, uh, Jaws. And this is the third movie. Uh, with Jaws in it, which is unbelievable. They've never had a villain. Um, not counting the... I, I should say they never had a villain played by the same actor come back this many times. And they haven't since. And uh, I got to tell you, the first... More than the first half of this movie is a pretty good standard... Uh, Bond film where there's good practical stunts. Um, the Venice stuff's pretty good. The stunts are great. Although there's there's just a few cheesy jokes. Um, you know, there is that bird. There's a bird that does a double take. But it's, you know, that's really the least of, of its crimes. It gets a little silly, but it, it's still entertaining silly. It's still funny silly. Um it doesn't get Superman three silly, which uh, which is good, which is good. Um, this is probably the height of the Roger Moore hamminess, I'd say. Is this one? <laughs> um, but man, they still bring it with the stunts, and it's just you know, for a movie called Moonraker, there's still a lot of good street. Taking taking it to the street fight, uh, James Bond stuff in it, and uh, it doesn't really get going in the moon to the moon to like the last twenty five minutes. It seems like, and they they stuff a lot of it. They stuff a lot of stuff in this movie, and I was surprised, um, because it's almost it's kind of lopsided. Like it's more standard James Bond. But then when you get towards the end, like like I said, the last 25 minutes, they throw all this space stuff at you. And um, there's there's a couple scenes where towards the end where they have uh, some agents fighting the uh, – I think they're agents or soldiers or something – fighting uh, the, hench, or the main villain's uh, um, new um, master race or what whatnot – soldiers and there's some pew 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 lasers laser fighting in space that that's pretty funny but it's it doesn't go on too long uh most of the space stuff is the models uh in space which are pretty good and uh the sets the space sets uh which are good too even though you know it's kind of silly with some of the buttons and stuff 
man, I miss buttons. I really do. I miss pressing buttons on stuff because <laughs> it was so efficient back then. It really was. I, the, those, you know, with the touch screens, you have to touch the screen five times before it'll do what it's supposed to do. Ugh, ugh. But uh, anyway, I, I'm going off on a rant. Um yeah, oh, I, I just want to say before I forget, um, John Barry's, uh, John Barry's score in this. Hold on a second, I just want to make sure everything's going good with the recording. Um, John Barry's on point, the music's fantastic. There's a scene where, um, the main villain uh, sends dogs after this woman that betrayed him, that was working for him. Oh, by the way, spoilers. There's going to be spoilers all throughout this, so you better see Moonraker before you listen to this review if you want to be surprised. Um, the dogs chase down the woman, and it's a good suspension. You're not, you're not sure if Bond is going to save the day or not, if he's going to show up at the last minute and, you know, take out the dogs or incapacitate them or whatever they don't <laughs> they 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 uh they kill her off screen which is amazing like wow this is a movie that didn't hold it didn't pull punches and a movie like moonraker does not pull punches uh, it's it's incredible but the music is on point like john barry it sounds so crisp and clear uh, on DVD, at least, I was really amazed um, and blown away by that. I was really pleasantly surprised. You know, I watched this on, I probably watched this on TV uh, at least maybe 10 years ago or so. And, uh, man, uh, this is, it's just, I, I like watching it complete, uh, uninterrupted on DVD incredible um jaws was such a good fun character uh to bring back it says nominated for one oscar one win six nominations total moonraker was Whew. uh best effects and visual effects uh it was nominated uh, Academy of Science Fiction's Fantasy and Horror Films. Best Science Fiction Film. Juniper Juniper or Jupiter, I'm sorry. Juniper Jupiter Award nominee. Winner of a Golden Screen uh, in Germany. Apparently. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh but as always, let's see, director is Lewis Gilbert, um, based on one of uh, Ian Fleming's novels, which is cool. Makes me want to read the novel for sure. Um, let me see. Let me go to the quiz or trivia, which is always fun. But let me tell you the storyline. James Bond is back for another mission, and this time he is blasting off in, into space. A spaceship traveling through space is mysteriously hijacked 
and Bond must work quickly to find out who is behind it all. He starts with the rocket's creators, Drax Industries, and the man behind the organization, Hugo Drax. On his journey, he meets up with Dr. Holly Goodhead uh, and encounters the Metal Tooth Jaws once again. So, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Trivia. Except for a few brief close-ups, the entire sequence of Bond, Jaws, and the pilot falling from the plane uh, with Bond and the pilot fighting for a single parachute was shot in free fall. The seven-pound camera for these sequences was mounted on the helmet of another skydiver. In a few shots are of the cameraman's own arms and legs. Stuntman Jake Lombard and B.J. Worth wore parachutes concealed within their suits. The parachute over which they fought was actually a dummy chute, which had to be removed before the stuntman could use the real parachute underneath. Huh. Stuntman Jake Lombard would don and remove this the dummy chute from up to three times in a single jump. Uh, let me just stop here. There's a, a scene in the beginning of this movie where uh, yeah, it's Jaws and Bond, and they, you know, uh, Bond gets thrown out of the plane and looks really good. Looks a lot like Roger Moore, and they really do it, and it's just really well shot. Uh, you get a really good uh, composition in it. The actual parachutes used by the stuntmen had a main and reserve chute concealed within the suit coats. A breakaway seam ran down the back, which allowed the parachute to be opened without the need to remove the coat. There are only 60 to 70 seconds of freefall time between the stunt performers exited the aircraft and when they had to activate their chutes. Wow. After factoring in the time needed to get the performers and cameraman into position after leaving their plane, wow, only a few seconds of film could be shot per jump. Therefore, the entire sequence required 88 jumps. 88 jumps. And five weeks to film just to produce the two minutes of footage in the final movie. You think movies are easy? 88 jumps. That's a lot of risk. <laughs> it's a lot of risk for a movie. For anything. 88 jumps and five weeks to film just to produce the two minutes of footage in the final movie. I tell you, it looks great. You know, people give this movie a lot of hell, but uh, there's some awesome stuff in this movie. Um, it's just, there's just nothing like practical stunts. It's incredible that you know, the risks that have been taken in the name of entertainment, movie entertainment. It's just incredible. And it stands the test of time. Um, let's see here. Let me go to more trivia.
the scene in which the gondola converts into a hovercraft and elevates out of the water succeeded with the fifth attempt. During the first four takes, the vehicle was so unstable, Sir Roger Moore fell into the water, <laughs> and he needed to have his silk suit replaced for each take. Wow. It was fortunate that the stunt worked during the fifth take because he was wearing the last available silk suit. Incredible. It's an awesome scene. And the stuff really works on set. The practical things that they got to work on set, it's awesome. This movie definitely paid for itself, I can tell you that. I mean, I think I bought it for about 10 bucks. And I got like four Bond mo- for the Roger Moore Bond movies. It's totally worth it, and then some. And they and they all have commentaries too. The cost for this movie is thirty million, nearly as much as the first eight films combined. Whew! Without taking into account inflation. Yeah, I wonder how that would be now with inflation. That's pretty crazy. The cable that bit that Jaws bit was actually made of licorice. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Producer Robert R. Broccoli complained that Maurice Binder's title sequence cost more than the entire budget of Dr. No. (laughs) That's nuts. That's so crazy. This was the highest-grossing Bond movie up to the release of GoldenEye. Wow. That's crazy, too. Um, the opening sequence concludes when Jaws free-falling into a circus big top, uh, I should say tent, which then comes crashing down around him. Footage was shot of Richard Keel staggering out of the wreckage, uh, but this has now been lost. A few stills from that scene are shown in a DVD extra. That's the only thing I don't have are the DVD extras with the set that I bought. But I'm okay with that Um, for the sake of uh, portability. (laughs) For this fight scene between James Bond and Chang... This movie had the largest amount of breakaway sugar glass used in a single scene. I believe it. There's a lot of glass breaking, a lot of uh, display cases being uh, broke because uh, this dude's using, uh, I think it's a kendo, kendo stick on, on Bond. He's in full kendo gear. Oh, this is sad. Bernard Lee's final appearance is M. The actor died when For Your Eyes Only was in pre-production. How sad. Uh, Yeah. When did this one come out? I think this came out, yeah, 1979. Uh, Three years after I was born. Let's see here. Now, this is kind of interesting. Um, 
producer Robert R. Broccoli and Steven Spielberg requesting permission to use his indelible five-note leap motif from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Broccoli wanted to use it as the entry code for an electronic library door lock in a scene in this movie. Several years later, Spielberg called Broccoli requesting permission to use a 007 theme music for a scene in a movie he was producing titled The Goonies. Broccoli pointed out that there were more than five notes in the 007 theme music. Spielberg suspected the producer's tongue was firmly planted in his cheek as he continued to banter. He was right. The Steven Spielberg and Robert R. Broccoli connection has another twist. An interest in directing a Bond movie while in negotiations with Broccoli until Star Wars saga producer and creator George Lucas offered the script for Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Jaws was supposed to be Bond's arch nemesis in this movie until director Lewis Gilbert started paying attention to some of the fan mail he was getting from the, from small children, Ask, asking why he couldn't he be a goodie instead of a baddie. That's interesting. Because there's a, there's a surprise turn in this where Jaws ends up turning good because of, he falls in love with, with uh, this girl in the, in the movie. With pigtails and, and all that, and glasses. So it's kind of one of those where you don't really see it coming and it just comes out of nowhere after he like uh, um, gets uh, this building falls down on him pretty much. During the cable car stunt high above Rio de Janeiro, a real cliffhanger moment occurred when stuntman Richard Graydon slipped and was hanging on for dear life. The rest of the crew, including Ken Adam, were petrified while the camera was rolling, and they were watching from a vantage point. That's interesting. Yeah, see how risky this stuff goes? It gets, yeah. Whew, slipped and hanging on. That's nuts. A moonraker has two dictionary definitions. It is a synonym for a moon sail, which is the highest sail of a ship. Uh, it is a term for a white Wiltshire folk story where smugglers trying to hide contraband pretend to rake the water in a pond so as to catch the reflection of the moon. <laughs> as if some, sometimes used to refer to a man of extreme ambition, which could apply to either Bond or Drax. It is sometimes used to refer to a man of extreme ambition. In the novel, Ian Fleming stated that when Bond reaches age 45, he will automatically be taken off the double O list and given a job staff at headquarters. Also, Roger Moore was 45 when he portrayed James Bond in Live and Let Die. Wow, crazy.
It means I still got hope. <laughs> Shoot. Despite the previous movie telling us that James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only, producer Robert R. Broccoli chose the movie, this movie as the next installment after the success, success of Star Wars uh, Episode Four: A New Hope. Yeah, I, I talked about that last time. The title song was sung by Dame Shirley Bassey the last time she did so in the Bond film franchise. Uh, the two other were Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever. She also sang a version of uh, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, sung for Thunderball, uh, which was not used. Uh, to date, ba- Bassey's the only singer to have performed a Bond title song more than once. Very true. Man, there's so much trivia. It's crazy. Uh, um, I like the Bond girlness. Um, she's very attractive, and her name is over the top. But she's good in it. She she's got a, a butt kicking scene though, which is pretty funny. It's like she does she does a judo flip to a guy, and uh, she like punches another dude out it's pretty funny but she does a good job i mean the choreography she you know uh, she put, really puts her her weight into the punch so i i, I quite like the scene even though if it was still still a bit of a stretch although all james bond's fights are a bit of a stretch let's see here During the scene set in Venice, Pope John Paul one, uh, Pope John Paul the first died. Filming was then suspended for the day, uh, partly because the bells ringing in Venice mourning his death were so loud, it made it impossible to work. Pretty sad. Sir Roger Moore enjoyed filming in Paris because production didn't start until noon and the hours were shorter. Eight hours a day on a movie is on a movie is the limit one could work in France. And I'd say that's good. <laughs> I say amen to that because uh I love I love that. That's how I would that's how I would shoot a movie right there. Don't shoot till noon. <laughs> and eight hours is enough. It's more than enough in my book with all the movies I've shot. Although time can go pretty quick when you're shooting a movie. Um, but if you know what you want to get, you know you know what shots you got to you gotta cover and you got everything mapped out pretty well, you can definitely get a good chunk load of filming done. But yeah, I like that. Don't don't shoot until noon. Don't go past eight hours because it just it adds up. Like every day, if you if you're doing thirteen hour days, or what have you, it's just exhausting. 
It's like you need you need some kind of recoup um, just to bring that energy each day. But that's just me. Definitely, probably just me. Well, certainly not the movie in which he was most ashamed. Sir Roger Moore often made fun of himself. In this movie, for the absurdity of the plot. Real lasers were used in assisting with the creation of the special effects in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I was telling you about the laser fight uh, in space that they had. It was uh, very Star Wars-like. Let's see here. Ah, Final James Bond movie to date to feature John Barry's second signature James Bond theme, uh, the 007 theme, and the only uh, Sir Roger Moore Bond movie in which it is heard. Interesting. Interesting. Bond stunt double veteran skydiver Jake Lombard bore a strong resemblance to Sir Roger Moore. That is, after he was persuaded persuaded to cut his long hair and shave off his equally long beard. This allowed many relative close-up facial shots of Bond in free fall. That's what I'm saying. It looks a lot like Roger Moore falling out of the plane in the beginning. I was incredible. I thought it was Roger Moore for a second there, but it's like, no way. As far as the role, like the same body type and everything. As far as the role of the pilot, skydiver B.J. Worth was chosen first with Jean-Pierre Castaldi being chosen later for studio scenes due to his resemblance to Mr. Worth. To build the gigantic three-level space station set interiors at France's Epony Studios, uh, Epine, uh, the production utilized two tons of nails, 100 tons of metal, 220 technicians, and 10,000 feet of set construction woodwork. This is the only James Bond movie where the signature pistol of Bond is not seen, be it the Walther PPK or the Walther P99. (laughs) In addition to being offered the chance to perform the title song, Frank Sinatra was offered the role of Hugo Drax. That would have been pretty, pretty interesting. I could kind of see that in a way. But the guy uh, that they got there was 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 really good as the villain. He he nails it. He's just he's missing the white cat though. I would say he needed a white cat because he's got the suit like Doctor Evil. But you know, when the Minister of Defense and M arrive in Venice, the minister mentions that he plays bridge with Mister Drax. Yeah. This is a reference to the original novel 
in which the character of Drax is introduced in a card sheet who constantly wins while playing bridge at M's favorite club. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because it gave some backstory and uh, familiarity uh, to the characters, which I thought is kind of funny. Like, man, they've been hanging out with Drax this whole time, playing cards with them. That's hilarious. This movie utilized utilized the largest set ever built in France. This is the first time in the series where M shares a scene with the main antagonist. Adapting to the different work ethics in in France, production designer Ken Adam was informed by the union leader that the crew will not work overtime. Adam could not recall even one Bond movie he designed, which did not include overtime on the part of the construction crew to complete the interiors. Ultimately, the crew saw his designs, and they decided it was indeed worthwhile to work overtime. In fact, he recalled that on Sundays, they brought their whole families. (laughs) Wow. Let's see here. I'll do a couple more, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. But because uh, there's just so much trivia, it's crazy. I could be reading this for hours. One of the Moonraker space shuttle models used in filming is currently on display in the Las Vegas Planet Planet Hollywood restaurant. That's cool, Las Vegas, the Las Vegas one. The majority of the women seen as part of Drax's master race were Paris models, with the exception of Anne Lonberg, who was a musician and actress prior to taking the role of the museum tour guide. Uh, The reception is seen at the uh, Vanini Glass Gallery, became a musician using the pseudonym uh, Irene Bow. She recorded a hit single, Happy Birthday, Mr. Bond, for the 50th anniversary of the James Bond franchise. With Sir Roger Moore providing background vocals. That's pretty funny. I like to listen to that. Movie is filmed in three continents and four studios across seven countries. Whew. The reason this movie has little in common with the novel is that the book was deemed far too dated to be adapted in 1979. Interesting, I didn't know that. Sir Roger Moore was off the production for a week in the hospital as he had a kidney stone. Ouch. At one point, it looked like the production would have to shut down due to Moore's uh, affliction. Those kidney stones get you. 
all right, I'm going to wrap this one up. But, uh, man, there's just so much fun stuff. Like I said, I, let, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. You know, it, it, I think the concept is, is of its time. Um, but it's still a good, solid movie. Like, he doesn't... He gets a little silly, but it's it, it doesn't get to the point where they're using stupid um, sound effects uh, that are really that silly. And they, don't, they just get a little silly one or two times, and it's not really that bad because so much of, more of the movie is great. And the, the rest of the funny scenes are, are genuinely funny, or at least funny enough. Um, so yeah, go check it out if you haven't already. I recommend you watch it on DVD if you can so you don't have uh, any uh, interruptions uh, by commercials or watch it um, on how, whatever streaming channel we'll have it on. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, uh, I give this one a... Man, I, I'd almost give this one a 9 out of 10. It's that good. Um, I, I I enjoyed this. I think this is one of the best ones of the bunch. Um, especially the Roger Moore movies. So, there you go. Um, sorry I didn't have my ukulele playing. But <laughs> I wanted to get this out because we're halfway through the month, more than halfway through the month. And uh, I just wanted to get this out. It takes a little bit of practice to get those songs down. Uh, so there you go. The next one on the list is For Your Eyes Only. Uh, one of the best uh, Roger Moore Bond films. And um, yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks for listening. Keep watching Bond. Keep being keep being inspired by Bond, whatever Bond that may be for you. All right. See you in the next movie.